0: Already, Ronan, let's get into the Players' Championship Wednesday preview. So just looking at it, I always like to kind of start with looking at the weather, seeing if it's going to be a big difference. Now, the weather forecasted was projected to be very windy on Wednesday, as it is, okay? Then throughout the weekend, it wasn't projected to be too windy. I do want to call it Friday, though, okay? Wind starts to play a difference in scoring, a major difference in scoring, when the winds get over 50 mile per hour winds. So if we see that this number increases then there could be a slight a slight weather advantage and i'm assuming that the pm am tea time would probably benefit the most if that happens i'm going to say we don't worry about that just yet because it is only 15 mile per hour winds and if there is a difference probably not going to be too big now guys i want to call this out i did do a props video earlier this was posted yesterday it's a big breakdown both underdog And also prize picks. I would make sure to go ahead and check that out. It's a separate video this week. Uh, I felt like we were getting some edges. And then also I kind of go through... The process that you can use on underdog to also use with the showdown slates. And I'll touch on the showdown right now. So for round one showdown, I typically like to look at just the AM only. Uh, We saw yesterday, John Rahm had the first round lead from the PM wave like that. That's going to happen. But a majority of the time, the players that are getting the first round lead are going to be from the AM wave. And so if we just look at the golfers that have the highest likelihood to have the first round lead, just... Based off of Vegas odds, we'll see Rom, Rory, Scotty, Cantley, Kyle Morakow. Obviously, it's a loaded field. Okay. Now, if we go based off of the nine of five first round leader rank, we'll see Rom, Rory, Sunjay, Cantley, Scotty, Tony. And so there is the potential that we are going to get a big edge here. And so once again, I'm going to go ahead and scroll up to the top here and we're going to set the first round leader rank to about the top 25. This is kind of my way of trying to see if there's any projected value. I don't think Denny McCarthy is going to have the first round lead. Probably not betting it. Him. Brian Harmon, probably not betting him, although you could. He is someone that typically does play well in the first round. Okay, Taylor Montgomery would, would like him to have better course experience. So really the best value bet that we're getting is going to be James, M, Wilkin, Terrell Haddon, and Tony Finau for a first round lead. So you could make those bets. And then going along with that, like if we just start by round one points, those are gonna be the players that you wanna be targeting as well. It's kind of as simple as that. Uh, We're trying to get those players into our builds. So I'm gonna go ahead and run the lineup optimizer here, just to show you guys which are the best ones we are getting lineup wise. So I'm gonna give John Rom a slight bump. We have to put in two players Two unique data points for the lineup optimizer work off of first and so we do see that like Sanjay and ram are the two kind of best plays so what i'm going to do is i'm going to set the settings to 30. this is kind of what i always do if someone has a different process that's perfectly fine and i do three unique players per build so i'm just going to generate the lineup just to see which players it's fitting out to me um and i actually really like xander xander has a price decrease here he's 500 cheaper on the showdown slate than he was on the main slate and why is that well <laughs> They came out with their pricing when Xander was like in first place <laughs> of the API last week. So they had to price correct him for the on slate. I would say that's about right. Uh, but we can see like a majority of the players here are kind of from that AM wave already. Now, if you guys want to go with the AM only for showdown, you definitely can. Uh, but you can see we are getting some pretty solid lines there. Now let's go ahead and get into kind of win rank. And just we'll sort it by Vegas win percent. Okay, so we'll see John Rahm, Rory, Scotty. Cantley, JT, Homa, Colin Morikawa. So first and foremost, I want to see if we are getting any favorable bets based off of the upside here. And so the difference between the nine to five model rank and the win rank in the nine to five model here is that win rank is measuring just upside. We don't care about the downside. Whereas the nine to five model is, is very much concerned about the downside of a player. So where are we getting the biggest difference? Where are we getting the best value? Well, that'd be Ryan Fox. And some people are going to say, Ryan Fox, why would that be a good outright bet? And in all honesty, I'd probably say it wouldn't be. And I'll, I'll pull him up here. So Ryan Fox, pull him up on the player profile. Like he is a solid play across the board. We are getting him at a discounted price point on DraftKings. The issue with Ryan Fox is that he doesn't have any course experience. I want to be targeting players that have course experience. We we see that just be a tendency in terms of winners. Uh, I love the I love the winning trends, uh tweets that we see each week that are the same thing each week, just phrased differently, like golfers that have course history and good course history tend to win more. Golfers in good recent form tend to win more. Golfers that were Good stat fits tend to win more. They're they're funny. I get why they go out there, why their tweets and whatnot, because it's fun content. But yes, golfers that have course experience are going to win more. Golfers that play well at the tournaments and play well heading into the tournament are more likely to win. Right, that just makes logical sense. Uh, so yes, Ryan Fox does not have have any course experience, so we're probably not betting him outright now. Brian Harmon, I am not touching him as well, but I think Brian Harmon. The point here would be the fact that he could probably end up, I don't want to say probably, he could end up being like Keegan Bradley last year, where Keegan had been somewhat trending in the right direction. A uh, little bit of disappointment starts here and there. It wouldn't be shocking to see Brian Harmon, who has had some upside finishes. You know, potentially be a good pick. Same thing with Shaman's power. You know, it wouldn't be shocking to see these players in contention. We are probably not touching those players, though, right? So let's continue on. I think Tony Fina would kind of be the first logical outright bet you can make. So like Tony Fina is an interesting play because if you take away kind of the downside of him as a play, he becomes a better play. Kind of the risk with him as a play, he becomes a better play. So if we take out these two kind of missed cuts, the upside's on cap. Like we've seen him finish seventh, first, ninth, we've seen a tenth, we've seen fourteenth. Like the last two weeks have been Kind of disappointing 24th and 20th but we talk about what type of players typically play well at this tournament its players are good uh ball strikers good troll drivers they're players that can score and also not make many mistakes as long as his game is on i could easily see him be in contention and then from there like no shock keegan bradley let's see what his odds are now like keegan has been kind of the standout outright bet as well as Corey connors like just given the value price point given how they're projected to play this week they are two players that it kind of makes you kinda of, I don't want to say you're forced into betting them, but just how they look on paper compared to how they're being valued both on DraftKings, uh Sportsbook and DraftKings DFS. Yeah almost I don't want to say you're being forced into betting them, but they are just such strong plays this week it's tough not to like them so the fact that Keegan is coming in as one of the better outright bets it's very interesting in terms of value I guess we get Sanjay and we get Bozal Taurus, Sleet Tagala, Xander those are all bets you can make as well but let's just talk about the bets that I like we'll start with Keegan Bradley Keegan has been playing extremely well uh if it weren't for his terrible round two you know he would have been in contention to win he easily would have been in contention to win heck he probably wins if he just has a normal round two Um uh, I think the tough part for someone like Keegan and some of the other players that did struggle in the AM PM wave, or P M A M wave is a simple fact that, and I haven't measured this at all, but there does seem to be some sort of tendency where playing in a tee time in which the weather shifts throughout the round is more difficult than playing in sustained winds. Even if the winds are extreme. Okay. And I think like last week would be a good example of that. All the good wind players, I tweeted this out, like worst wind conditions, players, all the players that had the PMT time on Friday, they all played well. Okay. And then we saw some players like Keegan, like John Rahm struggle a little bit that did have to, you know, play in both conditions, both like 10 mile per hour winds to progressively getting worse because, well, it's changing stuff around. Like you don't know how to predict your shot pretty much. Now, looking at Keegan, guys, can he win? That's the biggest question. And I think if Keegan were to win, he would fall into a victory. And I don't want to say Kurt Kitayama fell into a victory last week, but no one made a putt. And he was the only one that made a putt last week. If Keegan were to win, it'd be in that sort of sense. I don't think he's going to win a tournament and chances are he's going to be the one that loses a tournament. But can he sort of put himself into position to win and kind of fall into a victory? yes. We saw him be very close to winning this tournament last year with a fifth-place finish. He also finished 29th, 16th, and 7th. Why? He's a smart player. He's not going to make many bogeys. He can make some putts. He puts the ball where he wants to, okay? And we have seen him hold some upside, second, first, fifth. So he does make sense as kind of a long-shot outright bet. Now, I think Corey Connors at, you know, like 65-1, to 60 to one, it really depends where you look, is probably the best long shot bet that we're getting is ranking out top 10 in the nine to five model. Now, why is that? I already mentioned this a couple of times. The nine to five model is measuring both safety and upside. Okay. So whereas the win rank here that we have is just focused on capturing upside. Okay. And by that, we don't care about the bad stats that are in there. So like if miscuts in there, if a bad starts mixed in there, this Rank doesn't care about it, but just given the fact that he's ranking out top 10 in the nine to five model, that tells me that he's another one of those players that could be putting themselves into position to win. He's another one of those players that just not going to make many mistakes. Great course history, been trending in the right direction for quite some time. Yes, he has one bad start, uh, 61st and 50th, two and three events ago. We don't love that, but he is someone that's coming in, basically checking all the boxes. So it's going to be tough not to just have a value-based bet out there. But that's kind of it for the value-based bets. I think from there, we're kind of just keeping it simple. And I might just be going with a lot of the guys that we were on last week. So like Max Homa makes a lot of sense, I think, as an outright bet. 13th place finish at this tournament last year, miscut the year before that. So course history, right? And if we look at it, miscut in his first year and then 13th place finish last year. We'll take that. And although the course history from last year is a little bit skewed, it is what it is, right? Um, Looking at it, tremendous form. Third best specialist. Top 10 play in the nine to five mile. If we look at win rank lot higher. Win rank, six most likely to win, okay? And as current odds of 20 to one, like that's just a strong outright bet to me. You, I keep saying this, but you could easily argue he's one of the top four players in the world right now. Rom, Scotty, Rory, Homa, okay? I don't think anyone would actually really be arguing that. Some people might say, Cam Smith. What about Cam Smith? Like we don't see Cam Smith enough to put him in this category, right? And so for people that we see frequently, Max Homa, tough to argue that he shouldn't be the fourth best. And then to me, I don't know what it is about Patrick Cantley, but he is just shouting, bet me. I'm going to win. Bet me. I got this, Eric. And so I'm going to agree with him. Currently resides in Florida. Okay. Has that going for him. Top sixth pick in the nine to five model and if we just kind of look at his recent starts it kind of feels like he's almost due for a win okay first eight events ago, seventh second 16th uh, and then we look at his most recent two fourth and third patrick cannelly is a guy if he keeps putting himself into contention to win and keeps putting himself in spots in which other players could mess up like on hole 17 and whatnot he's typically not going to be the player that's making mental mistakes or even mistakes with his putter so he's very much someone i think could clutch up and get a victory and it just kind of seems like the stars are aligning for him to be a good out outright but the only issue that we have is that he's literally missed three straight cuts at this tournament that's a big worry i'm not saying we shouldn't worry about that but at the same time i think it makes a lot of logical sense to win and obviously the tough part is that we have a ton of great plays right you can you the scotty and i really actually don't mind scotty at 10 to 1 we're getting double digit odds on him i feel like that's pretty good it, it's pretty crazy that we're getting john rom at 10 to 1 as well and that's the difficult part here is that i guess i didn't even notice this like i i almost wouldn't mind just betting these <laughs> these top four hard hitting analysis right there uh but a lot of you guys know, I like to bet the top 5% of the field. So if we bet these four, that means we have three more bets. And so who else would the other three bets be? Could do Keegan as a value-based bet. Typically, I only like to do one value-based bet. Or Corey Connors. We do both of them. If you do both of them, we're at six total. And so from there, we'd have to figure out who we'd want to bet. I don't think Hovland has just the mental capacity to win a tournament like this. Matt Fitzpatrick, if healthy, this is like the ideal course for him. I could see him winning, but I sort of just keep coming back to Toral Hatton. We've seen the upside be there. <laughs> this every other start is kind of uh, worrisome. You know, look at his recent form. Fourth, 40th, 6th, 38th, 2nd, 13th, 45th, fifth, seventh, eighth. Like we will take those upside finishes, right? And given the fact that he did finish 13th at this tournament last year, we love that as well. Okay, I'm actually curious what his win rank is. 14th, that's actually pretty interesting to me. I would have figured it'd be better. Interesting. I still think he's someone that we target. The odds are good, 35-1. to 1. Basically, coming and checking all the boxes, not making many mistakes, does play well in tougher tracks, you know, top six specialists. I would say if those were the seven outright bets I had to make, I would make them. So honestly, I don't mind these. I think we're getting good value on these. Top two players this week, John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler. I don't love the odds on Patrick Antley anymore, 16-1, to 1, but it does make a lot of logical sense. Then we're getting Max Homa as well. Like, you could stop the betting card here, okay? That way, you're still making money if one of them wins, right? Now, what sucks is my typical rule is if I bet Patrick Henley also bet Xander Shoffley because they tend to play well at the same time. I don't mind Matt Fitzpatrick at 35 to 1. I do think Terrell Haddon is a good bet at 35 to 1 as well. Keegan at 45 to 1, and then also Corey Connors at 60 to 1. I am probably chasing Corey Connors. That's just too good of odds to pass up on. Now, some other long shot bets that do catch my eye are Chris Kirk. Like Chris Kirk, you look at his last few starts 39th, 1st, 67th, 3rd, 3rd. Does have course experience here as well. So, yeah, I guess it wouldn't be shocking to see him in contention. So maybe someone that you're betting to top top twenty. I guess I wouldn't mind that. But are there any other logical long shot bets? Like I don't hate Seamus Power, I just don't see him winning. Like I don't think there's any like logical long shot bets that we could really roll with. Maybe you could live bet someone, but I think it'd be kind of just almost pointless to kind of bet those guys as well. And so if we are betting these guys outright, you could also just bet them to top 10. I feel like they have a pretty good chance to. Uh, Terrell Hatton could bet to top 10. I think if you're doing that with Hatton, you just bet him to top 20. And then also, I want to call this out while we get into ownership. So let's look at this. I'm curious. Is Keegan still the worst play on the board? He is. Okay. So Keegan's coming in chalk. I mean, honestly, as he should be, he's clearly just mispriced. Thing with Keegan is when he's struck he tends to disappoint so we'll see if that holds up and this is a week in which we are getting other solid plays at a very similar price tag if you are playing Keegan here he has to finish top 10. so basically if you are betting Keegan Bradley or if you are playing Keegan Keegan Bradley' or being overweight on him I'm not saying that's wrong okay I'm gonna be on Keegan what you would then want to do since you are saying he's going to finish top 15 bet him to top 20 as well. Or you could just do that instead because that's essentially what you are doing. That's what you are saying if you're playing Keegan Bradley at 19.8% ownership. Okay. So from there, we are getting some kind of interesting ownerships. Okay. Davis Riley, overowned, owned Web Simpson, over-owned. Now I like Jonathan Vegas as well. I think he's going to be a good value. I would say he's probably properly owned. Um, 7.14%. There is other good value out there. And I'll touch on this, you know, in this segment here, but I get it. Shane Lowry probably slightly overowned. There's other plays around his price point that we can go with, like Jason Day. Jason Day has climbed up from like the orange earlier this week now into the red, and so I think a good example of this would be kind of last week with Jason Day and with Will Zalatoris. They were kind of very similar plays that were getting a little bit too chalky. Um, Will Zalatoris, you know, was chalk that didn't really make sense last week. In terms of projected ownership he ended up not finishing well whereas jason day did make some sort of sense i would say that this ownership does still make some sense when you look at the other players around jason day, and i'll get into this as well there's not as many like great places him so that might be chalk we eat as well but then from there, like, I don't think we need to force Colin Morikawa. I don't think we need to force Tom Kim. Adam had one. Like, I don't think we need to force those players. So let's go ahead and flip it around. And this is what I love about this tool is that with the Players Championship, with these higher caliber fields, we are seeing the ownership get spread out. So we can see kind of these small pivots that we can make that could end up making a big difference. Like John Rahm being only 17% owned as the top player in the field does obviously seem like he is going to be under owned in terms of how he is projected to play tony finau same thing xander shawfly it makes sense why he's under own, but because he was too high priced because the pricing came out too soon for the players championship and they priced pretty much how players were performing at that time at the api which should bring up a lot of concerns with how draftings does their pricing <laughs> Back in the day, they used to just do it off of world ranking, it seemed like, and there's a huge edge. And so I find it very interesting that whatever model they're using said Xander should be the fourth highest player priced. And obviously, I already touched on the showdown salary is that now the model is saying that was not true. It's just kind of crazy that a finish, a projected finish like that would suggest that he should be that high priced. Very interesting there. I think that's good insight. Uh, Adam Scott. Hoo-wee do we play Adam Scott? He is just so annoying to roster this season. You could, coming in under own. And so, let's just look at this in this way, okay? And I think this is a great way to use it. So, would you rather be on Kyle Morikawa, who has been struggling recently, at 14% ownership? Or, would you rather be on Tony Finau or Sanjay M? I'd say they're all kind of the same players. Sanjay is a little bit more consistent, a little bit less upside. Tony Finau and Kyle Morikawa are basically the exact same player. I'd much rather be at a slightly lower owned and lower priced Tony Finau than I would be a Kyle Morikawa at $300 more and also higher own. Like, that's what that's telling us. And so, like, so someone like son Jam, who's extremely consistent we can see why he's ranking out as a great leverage play. Highly consistent player. We look at the players around him that are also priced higher or lower than him. We can see that he should be higher owned compared to the likelihood of him both playing well and meeting his return value finishing position. And guys it's been strange. Conor Morikawa and Wills Al Torres have been getting higher ownerships than they should be this season. And so like if we look at it it's, it's kind of just been strange. Right? Like, I get that. I think people have been targeting the bounce back for Morikawa, which I wouldn't say that's the wrong decision. It's just kind of strange. Like, we have seen that upside there. When he is on, he is on. Okay. Last week, he clearly wasn't on. And then Willie Z as well, kind of the exact same play. I guess, I guess you could use the Xander and Cantlay. Uh, thought process there, where if you're playing Xander, you're playing Cantley. If you're playing Cantley, you're playing Xander. I guess you could use that thought process here with Willie Z and Kyle Morikawa. They do both tend to step up in the bigger events, but something seems to be off. And so we can see why this inconsistent play is leading to them not be as favorable of plays as players right around them, like Jordan Spieth at significantly less ownership, even like Matt Fitzpatrick, who is 5% less owned. And I would say if he's healthy, just as much upside. Same thing with Cameron Young, just as much upside. So that's where we can easily see like why these players are getting a better leverage tag. So if we scroll down lower, Shane Lowry does feel like he's overpriced this week, right? I, I don't mind the idea of playing him in GPPs only, which is probably why he's at 11.8% owned, especially if people are doing fair and balanced. I don't mind the idea of trying to capture upside with him. At the same time, he kind of feels like an easy fade when we can easily pivot to Terrell Hatton. We go with Cameron Young a little bit lower. I'd like kind of much rather do that. And so if we go lower to someone like Chris Kirk, price point wise, decent play still. Okay. And so this is why I find extremely interesting about Keegan Bradley. Yes, he is clearly mispriced, right? But at the same time, we get Corey Connors, who's 4% less owned than him. We get Ricky Fowler, who is also um, about 7%, 8% less owned. And the interesting thing about like Keegan compared to Ricky, let's just do that. Yes, has been has Keegan been more consistent? Yes. Does he have better course history? Yes. I would say given the data more times than not, Keegan would actually play better than Ricky. But if you are someone that is making, let's say 20 lines. Okay. And let's say you want to be overweight on Keegan. Maybe you want to be 40% on Keegan. That's fine. In those other builds where you would have Keegan in there, like let's just say you enter 20 and you want to have 40% Keegan max into that in 20 contests, and then go through and edit Keegan out for someone like Ricky. You are making an educated pivot there. That is someone that I would say does have the upside to finish top 10 has been trending in the right direction is, you know, potentially a little bit too low owned. And then we could also do the same with Connors and also Keith Mitchell. I want to point this out. Keith Mitchell is a pretty strong play as well. He has gained 13% owned, but that's a way in which you could get a slightly lower owned lineup in there as well. Now, Brian Harmon, I won't be touching, but you could usually play him as well in that same scenario. <laughs> Thomas Dietrich, I, I can't do you, man. Uh, let's just scroll down here to Vegas. Now, obviously, the lower we get down, the less likely these golfers are to be great plays and to be plays that we should trust, right? That just makes sense. That's why they price is right. Are there any pivots we can go from, from Vegas that make us feel good? I would say it's pretty crazy that Webb Simpson is actually, in comparison, Webb is 6.3 and Vegas is only 7.1. That seems strange, but who else could we play? Well, one, we got Ryan Fox in there who arguably is the best or second best value that we're getting this week. Doesn't have course history. That's the worry. You could go down to someone like Adam Shank, not getting any ownership. He's a decent play. Justin Suh also a decent play. And then Kramer, Hickok, and Sam Ryder, I think, are good values that you can roll with. And so speaking of which, let's get into the value report. Now, I don't think those two are going to be popping up as values. I'll touch on those in just a second, because I think they're interesting. So the top values on DraftKings, we can kind of see, uh, and it's very interesting that Adam Scott is popping up as the best value. I find that extremely crazy, but we got Jason Day, we got Keith Mitchell, we got Keegan Bradley, we got Corey Connors, and that's where it's difficult not to play these guys. Now, we do see Taylor Montgomery popping up there. I don't know how I feel about that. I'm probably not going to be chasing Taylor Montgomery, but we can kind of see the team there. Let's look at fan value. Chris Kirk, Ben Griffin. Jason Day, Sheamus Power. So if you are someone that plays on multiple sites, it does make sense to possibly be on Chris Kirk on FanDuel and then also maybe Ben Griffin, Sheamus Power. If you're someone that does Yahoo as well, I know that's very minimal. Not really anyone good. Obviously, Tiger now in the field. Wyndham Clark, we're probably not playing. Ben Griffin, you could play. Not really a week in which we'd want to play anyone on Yahoo, really. That's min-priced. And so for what it's worth, I just want to call this out. Sam Ryder, interesting play. Has course experience. Made the cut last year. Uh, really, it's just one of those bad plays that could be in a GPP winning lineup, and I talk about this a little bit more frequently this season. The thing that's unique about PGA DFS is that you can make a really strong build each and every week, have a very successful main build each and every week, make a profitable build to win a GPP. You have to have like two bad plays in there. Kidiyama and Davis Riley are two perfect examples of that last week. Both bad plays on paper. There is some sort of unknown factor in there. And if you guys are curious as to what I'm referring to. Um, this is a write-up and also a video that I did um, how to win or how to make a GPP winning lineup, okay? He kind of this is that if you go like player one, where players start out their builds with, top 10 play, player two, top 10 play, player three, a player that given his price point, people had naturally ended up on, player four, you know, also a player that kind of stood out value price point wise. And then the last two players into those builds were bad plays on paper. One was about 68th on average, and that's sally rank. Then one was a- about the same as well. So like Kirk kidyama was like the 80th best play in the nine to five mile last week. We're not going to get a worse winner than that. But there is some sort of unknown kind of upside plays that we need to consider each week. And I feel like Sam Ryder is kind of that play we have seen the random upside finishes that he has and i guess it just wouldn't be shocking to see him have another random upside finish and i, I kind of want to make that clear like he is a bad play but it's almost like he's a bad enough play to the point where he's kind of interesting and so we're also looking at this right here okay guys two weeks ago i mentioned tyler duncan is min price and he should not be min price tyler duncan actually went out and made me look good with that statement made the cut added had like a top 15 finish kramer hickok falls in that same ballpark now he's not someone you're probably playing but at the same time it's kind of clear to see probably should be min priced you know has made the cut here the last two years coming in making the last two cuts and his miscuts cuts haven't been extremely terrible they've not been good like 81st 79st, 79st not great but at least they haven't been terrible for min price play you could do worse all right so we are going to be doing the lineup builder portion of this video so we're just going to apply all the knowledge that we have from this week now to the lineup builder, and I think we can get there unique. And so the very first thing that we need to do is we just need to make two data points for the lineup to builder to go off of. So I'm just going to bump up uh, John Rom's projection a little bit, and then also JT's. I don't think we need to do that, but let's just see which players it's pulling in the most, and then we'll be able to see where we need to make adjustments. So because we didn't cap any of the exposures at all, we got a lot of Terrell and Jason Day, no shots there. They're two of the best players in the field. Corey Connors and Keegan Bradley got a lot of those as well. The biggest shock would be Adam Scott is popping up as the best play. But as you guys saw on the value report section was popping up as one of the better values. So nothing too crazy here. Okay. The interesting thing is that it didn't give us any Rom, Scotty or Rory. Okay, it definitely was doing the more fair and balanced approach. So a couple things we can do right off the bat. You could set the max total ownership to 90% if you want to. I'm actually curious. Let's look at this again. I want to see the average ownership of a GPP winning lineup again. So in a normal scoring event, that's what it takes the cash. Uh, 616 is kind of our target goal. Normal scoring events maybe about 8% for six for six. Great. All right, here we go. Average total ownership, about 67%. Very interesting there, right? So that right there would suggest that we do not want, and we can see the average total salary remain about $400 left over. So we don't want a line if that's too chalky, go figure, right? But at the same time, it's not like terrible chalk, just naturally, if you're being on like, let's say the two chalkiest or the three chalkiest players, you're probably 20, 20 and 20% ownership. Next three, maybe five, five, Two and two like whatever so we could easily just go ahead and set the total exposure ownership to 70 percent. could also do three unique players we could do a max exposure of 35 percent as well this should ensure us that we are not getting too chalky of a build so let's go ahead and generate this as well it's not like we're fading the chalk here we are just finding different ways to make unique builds based off of the chalk okay so this is what we can do so we are seeing we're probably getting some players that we don't really want to be on that much Adam Scott, Hideki, Taylor Montgomery. These are all players that are popping up ownership leverage-wise. So if you guys want to be on them, you can. Billy Horschel and whatnot. So what we can do from there. We saw those players were being popped up. We go to show usage. Okay, we do the drop down. And now it's going to automatically sort by ownership. And so some of the players that we are on maybe too much of. I think Tony Finau is a great play. Let's just maybe be on him 25%. We're still going to be overweight on him. But... 40 seems a little bit too much. Victor Hovland or Hideki probably don't want to be on him too much. Let's just do 2%. Uh, Adam Scott, you know, a decent play, maybe 15%. We're still going to be overweight on him. Not going crazy with it. Seamus Power, 5%. Taylor Montgomery, 5%. Uh, Ming Wu lead, maybe 2%. So the reason I don't like fading the builder is because it's trying to make optimal lines based off of the projections that we have, right? So I don't want to go too crazy with it. Uh, Billy, I'm fine being even weight. McNeely, whatever, to Fleetwood. Don't really love him too. Jordan's okay, maybe five percent. So if we generate this, we should have a much better build now. Okay, because we're not getting players that we don't really want to be on too much. Maybe a little bit of Justin Rose, Brian Harmon, probably don't want to be on those players too much, okay? so maybe we adjust this to i don't know 90 percent. probably a little bit too chalky at that point for people but let's do that okay and so just for an example guys we had the max exposure set at 35 here we can see we're gaining about 40 percent. let's say if we did about 50 lineups it's going to be closer to 35 percent. so if you do 150 it'll be closer to it'll be 35 it's just with 20 lineups it can't really optimize the lineups the exposures based off of that is pretty much what's happening so once again, we are seeing a couple of players that we don't want to be on too much. Let's go ahead and get those players out. So like someone like Justin Rose would be one of those. Don't need to be on him too much uh let's see Tom Kim he's fine but don't want to be in him too much uh let's see here these are all fine all fine Norin probably don't care for him Tagala whatever don't care for him already kind of said probably don't want to be on Willie Z too much we'll see Burns probably not too much we'll see okay so let's generate this again and then we're gonna get into some player groups that we can do so already getting lineups kind of built out the way we would want it to without it being too chalky probably still too much Brian Harmon I, I didn't adjust that I just caught that probably don't want to be on him that much so now what we're going to do is we're going to get into some player groups now i already went ahead and did this <clears throat> so this is kind of two ways that you can do it when a lineup includes jason day i want at least two of these players so these are my core plays and my kind of high exposure plays on the day on the on the week so i want at least two of those players in all my builds and we're kind of using jason day as the anchor to that now if you want to use keegan bradley cory connors you could do that as well whatever that'll work and so going along with that, we also want some lineups that are going to be studs and duds, okay? And this is the way we do that. And so this has been very successful the last four weeks. And this is where, if you guys have heard me say, I've been kicking myself for not doing studs and duds and kind of max entering, not doing studs and duds as much as I should be. Because by doing this, so when a lineup includes John Rom, I want at least one of these players in my build. And so these are all players that are like less than 7k. So we click save there. And then we can also do that for someone like Scotty Scheffler, our two top plays on the board this week. so this is a way in which we can get unique builds to players that are gonna be lower owned than they should be. And so in order to ensure that we are gonna get the proper exposures to John Rom and Scotty Scheffler, we are actually gonna hit the lock button in there. I tend to tell people not to do that because if you do it too much, like, let's just do this. It's obviously not gonna work because you can't lock in those players. You can't lock in that many players into a lineup builder because it literally won't work so we run that here and now we are getting the proper exposures that we want based off of the players that are in the nine to five player pool probably too much kirk katiyama is not a player that i'm ending up on billy horschel probably don't want to be on him so once again what we can do we go to show usage go to the last build here so we find the players that are being pulled in too much kirk Kadiyama is one of them coming in off the w i actually don't think he's going to struggle that much not a terrible (laughs) play. so what i'm doing is i noticed that ricky wasn't in the builds at all i like ricky Bumped up his projection to ensure that he gets put into some builds. Same thing with Adam Hadwin. I think he's a good GPP play. Want to be on him a little bit. Maybe Nick Taylor, we could bump up a little bit. I don't think we need to go crazy with that. I don't know if he's going to be a GPP winner or not. (laughs) So Jonathan Vegas wasn't getting pulled in. We're going to bump up his projection a little bit. Okay, so there we go. Uh, Who else were some value plays that we wanted to get to that the lineup optimizer might not have been pulling in? Let's go with Adam Shank. 71. For what it's worth, I don't hate Tyler Duncan. Let's go with Sam Ryder, 70. And then lastly, actually Dylan Fertelli, I don't mind as well. We'll go 68 for him. Okay, so now I'm actually curious. I bumped up some of the ownerships to some players I wanted to be on a little bit more. Let's see if we get some more of them. So we're getting some more Sam Ryder. We're getting more of Dylan Fertelli, Kramer, Hickok. We might have to cap their exposures. Again, in Vegas. Yeah, let's go ahead and do that one more time. And so guys, like this is the process that it takes to properly max enter like 150 lineups. Like it should take you some time especially if you are doing a lot of money. Like kind of my rule of thumb, and this might not be a great advice but whatever amount of lineups you are submitting you want to put at least half of your research time in minutes into that so if you're doing 20 lineups at least spend 10 minutes at least putting together those lineups. if you're doing 150 lineups you should be spending like an hour figuring out kind of the nuances of getting the players and exposures the proper ways that you want like if you are struggling to have success and honestly i need to do this more as well just put more time into your lineups and roster construction in general like a tool like this is designed to make it easier on us it's not designed to do all the work for us it's like a tool it's like any tool like that you would use right it's going to help make the work easier but at the same time not going to do the work completely for you okay so now we have it built out pretty well uh i'm going to do some fine tuning here before i do 150 lineups and then we'll begin out of here actually i'm curious let's look at the statistics of this average points is solid you need to get to about 616 to have a gpp winning lineup average ownership eighty one percent and so I had the set at a max of ninety. But we can see like it does kind of course correct itself anyways. Average remaining salary, pretty good average men's salary, pretty good there as well. All right. So I feel like we had this built out very well now, maybe too much Keith Mitchell. It could bump that down to 30%. And let's just do that. Uh, maybe even like 28. And obviously the, the ownership percents that you go in and on players can be higher or lower. That's really up to you. Like Chris Kirk, I'm going to bump that down too, but now we have it built out. Like we're getting the proper exposures to players. We want to be in probably want a little bit more Jason day. There we go. I, I didn't realize I had a 15% max exposure on Jason Day. So now we have this built out the way we want, like Jason Day, Corey Connors, Keegan Bradley, Terrell Hatton, uh, Justin Thomas, Sanjay M. Like we are getting proper exposures to the players we want to be on the most. And maybe we'll bump down Sanjay M. I had him as a high exposure play, which means he's not a core play, which means I don't want as much as him as some of the rest of the players. So let's just bump up, bump down his max exposure to, I don't know, 18%, like still overweight, um, still a player that we're going to be going out of our way to play. Let's see how that adjusts some things. Not much better. Okay, we're, we're definitely getting the exposures to players we want to be on. Maybe a little bit too much Adam Hadwin. I'm going to have to adjust. I know he's popping up as a decent leverage play, but let's just adjust that down. And that's why I accidentally, I typed in 88 instead of eight for max exposure. That, that'd make a big difference there. Okay, now it's working. Now we got it. Maybe too much Russell Henley. That's about it. And so like, guys, I don't like to eliminate players from the lineup builder if we have too concentrated of a player pool it's just not going to work based off of the constraints that i've given it okay but we are getting proper exposures like probably gonna bump russell henley down uh will lee probably gonna bump down but like good stuff like maverick manili probably a little bit down maybe get on stefan jaeger a little bit more probably ryan fox a little bit more as well but we're pretty good i'm actually curious let's do one more thing i'm just curious i want to run two without a max exposure there ownership wise see if that changes anything i mean not too much no so i probably worthwhile I'll just keep that in there and let's just see if it changes the statistics of it not too much the average ownership is about the same let's try it once with 70 percent, just to see and i'm guessing by doing 70 percent, it's going to be interesting so average ownership right at that gpp winning norm right okay Interesting there. Our exposures are probably going to be a little bit different. Yeah. So it's forcing in a random low owned play like Maverick McNeely to get that low ownership exposure. And so that's where we got to be careful with that. All right. Now I'm going to do 150 lineups just to see what it builds out and then we're done. And so what it took, let's say around 20 minutes to build 150 lineups for the players championship. Like that's the process it should take because now we're getting the proper lineups built that we want these are looking great now you guys might disagree because you don't like some of the plays that's that's fine right you don't need to be on them uh definitely up to you but i like the build that we have going that's all i have for you guys for this video hopefully you guys enjoyed if you did give a like and subscribe let's have a good players championship and as always i I channeled the freaking pat mayo there a little bit strange all right (laughs) as always guys let's keep cashing